Hello, this is episode 244 of the Global Psychology Podcast. I'm Nisha O'Reilly. This episode could almost be Asperger's Syndrome versus Dyslexia genes. I'm slightly late getting to the podcast this week. I've had a lot on and I've done a lot of work for these podcasts. It's one stage I had about seven notebooks on my desk this week thinking about everything. I'm going to record two podcasts together because they're almost a double bill, but I suggest you take a bit of decompression time between them. I've been told that there's always a lot of my podcasts at the best of times. I've been sitting on the fence a bit with this topic now for over a year. I usually decide it's the right time to talk about something when nearly every message in my inbox requires the same response. It's usually a sign that it's time to talk about something. And I certainly feel the pandemic has brought a lot to light, as I knew it would. It's not that the problems have got worse or greater in number. I think just the parameters, the stress levels, the lack of diffusion, the lack of space, I think just the intensity of everything has brought everything to light and brought everything into awareness. Over half the personalities can now be categorised with Asperger's syndrome or with autism, depending on which labels you, you fancy, because labels do come in and out of folk. And if it was a big deal for me to say in November 2011 that we should abolish homework, which is a debate that still comes around at least once a year where I get a, a call to do a radio interview. And the only justification for it at this stage is that I hated learning and I hated school so so should you that that's pretty much what it's got to after having had the conversation there for what are we on 10 years because you know it, it nobody enjoys doing it parents don't like it students don't like it teachers hate correcting it it takes up a huge amount of class time it's almost as if we build a system and then create an industry afterwards to repair the damage while we teach people how to have work-life balance afterwards, having spent 14 years taking their work home. And that's only one of my reasons for not liking homework. It's probably the greatest inequality in education because you assume that everybody can take the work home and that someone at home can help them. And that's without all the other permutations and combinations of things, which I think, interestingly, I think educators have really got a feel for that this year. I think they've really begun to understand what their students' lives are like, especially at home. So I think a lot of things have come to light in the pandemic. But if it was a big deal for me to say that homework should be got rid of and no one's making money out of it as such it's an even bigger deal for me to say that we've become obsessed with labeling students and giving them psychological assessments and diagnosis and fitting them into various categories and various boxes because there's an entire field of professionals that that affects and that frankly benefit from it 
So this won't be a very popular podcast. And I guess that's why I sat on the fence with it. It's interesting when you look at how we assign dyslexia versus how we assign ASD. From a genetic point of view, there are distinct differences because there are specific genes for dyslexia which are seen to be hereditary. Whereas for ASD, there are variants in gene sequences that we assign to subjective characteristics to be present, to exhibit ASD. And so it's a very different conversation, and it's that lack of consistency to begin with which then starts to kind of spiral. So from my work, I can see that personality has a big impact on how people deal with having dyslexia. But essentially, the literacy challenges are the same. There are essentially four factors involved in having literacy challenges. And you may have some or all of them. And some of them tend to go under the radar and not be picked up as easily as others. And so those students tend to battle on in the system a bit longer. And classically, people will suddenly realise one day that they can't actually read the exam question properly and that they answer the wrong question. Whereas some of the more obvious traits to do with spelling and handwriting will be picked up sooner. And depending on your personality kind of depends on what you need to overcome the challenges and how good or bad you will feel about yourself. And then you will obviously know two dyslexics are the same and you have very different aptitudes. And I think this was what I understood when when I started at school. I wanted to understand why no two dyslexics were the same because we excel in lots of different fields. And so those aptitudes can be used to help you to overcome the literacy challenges as well. But it's a pretty consistent conversation. The the challenges themselves are not changing. We're not just focusing on them from a behavioral point of view. Now often, ADHD will be rolled into the mix And I can see very logical reasons for some personalities having that attribute assigned to them. And often it's got a lot to do with how you switch off and whether you manage to go to sleep and so on. Because when you're tired, things are even harder. And some of it is behavioural due to frustration, which is very kind of, this goes back to the sort of the different personalities reacting to the challenges in different ways. And sometimes it goes with the diagnosis because we start to think about things like your concentration span and your working memory and so on, which generally are all due to you having a visual strain, which is an attribute of dyslexia. So ultimately, I arrive back at the four reasons why you're struggling. And if we help you with those and we help you with how you feel about it based on your personality as to whether you're more internalized 
in your sense of yourself or more externalized. And we help you to feel good about what you're good at. We can overcome the challenges. You may never be able to spell perfectly, but you learn how to use technology and how to have coping strategies. And ultimately, that is the big thing, actually. I can never teach someone with dyslexia to learn how to spell perfectly. And I just accept that. I will never teach them how to read perfectly either, or how to proofread their work perfectly. But nobody needs to. And we all end up being very successful in life, in a whole cross-section of areas. And there are many attributes assigned to it to do with space relations, and the way that you process and think that are actually incredibly beneficial to humanity. And that's one of the reasons why people with dyslexia end up being so successful. Now, with ASD, it's a completely different conversation. When we start to look for variants in genes and we start to create a table of characteristics of behaviours, essentially, and you have over half of the personalities that those can be randomly assigned to, which are completely different people. Nobody ever looks for the learning challenges associated to it. And there are some distinct root learning challenges, often to do with auditory processing and language development, and contextual language development in particular. But we get so het up on how we think people should be, then we never look for those. And we only ever look at a series of behaviours that we don't think fit into our expected norms of society. And so we start to make people essentially feel really bad for who they fundamentally are. And that's a much more subjective way to look at people. And I think this is my, my fundamental difficulty with it. Because you're not looking at learning challenges. You're looking at how people are as people. And you don't like their difference fundamentally. And one of the most striking ways that I can try to explain this to you is to do a comparison to Alan Turing who was a mathematical genius, especially well-known during the Second World War, because he was involved in the mastermind of Bletchley Park, which had been fortunate to visit, which was a special secret location set up to crack the Enigma code, and so that they would be able to decipher the messages from coming out of the German army. Alan Turing was not someone that was very easy for his colleagues to get on with. He was hyper-focused. He was brilliant mathematically and scientifically and computationally. He formed the basis for much of our thinking on artificial intelligence as well. He wouldn't have been somebody who would have been particularly good in a schoolyard or for playdates or getting his pen pass or doing well in nine subjects simultaneously in school of a really diverse section, or being a brilliant team player, or loved presentation, or ticked all of the multitude of boxes that we now look for people to tick in order for them to be socially acceptable 
and fit into our characteristics of normal and what is required to do well in a school environment now. He was somebody who classically exhibited hyper-focus, was a bit of an insomniac, total workaholic, complete genius, massive internal thinking processes, so much so that he, he really wasn't that aware of his external environment. Probably wouldn't have been brilliant at the everyday, day-to-day management of a home or any of the kind of personal skills that we now look for from people as a norm. But we didn't persecute Alan Turing for his genius and his hyper-focus and his abilities in that way. We were very happy to utilise those. And I often joke to my students that if there was a war in the morning, there'd be a place for them, that they would all excel at it. But instead, we persecuted him for his sexuality because that wasn't popular at the time. And so he was charged and put on hormone treatment for his sexuality, which in many places now, not in all, unfortunately, but in many places now, that seems barbaric, inappropriate, and he has been pardoned by the British government and the royal family for that treatment long after his death. But in many ways, the way that we assess people for ASD now is not a whole lot different to how we treated Alan Turing because of his sexuality. It's just, we've just moved the parameters on what we think normal humans should be like. We're still not prepared to embrace people for their difference and their skill sets. And quite frankly, in the world that we're in right now, in the same way as in the Second World War, we needed someone with the hyper-focus and the, his skill set ability to crack those codes, whether you agree with war or not, which I don't. But we utilised those talents at that time. Right now, in the world, with a pandemic, with climate change, with many of the economic challenges and social challenges we have, we need people who have unique skill sets and who are hyper-focused. And we need these people to be able to excel at what they're good at, to stop focusing on what they're not good at, and to stop labeling them and stop pushing them down these avenues with these development plans and with all of the sense of what they're not good at and what they can't do. We need to bring out their talents. We need to stop looking at characteristics and traits that we don't feel fit into humanity socially and start to look at their academic traits and their genius and their abilities and maximise those. In the same way as people with dyslexia manage to do that, they manage to navigate around it and excel at what they're good at when they eventually get over the experiences of school and the literacy challenges that they have. It doesn't have as big an impact in them because they're always able to navigate around and excel at what they're good at. Because it's not as much 
of a ridicule on, on who they are as an actual person, as an individual. That's my challenge here. That's, that's the difference I see. And the part that I find really tragic about this is the parents are always being pushed down this avenue and this road. And they always go down it because they feel that they have to do the best for their child. That's their motivation. But I often don't feel that it's the motivation of the people who are writing the reports or who are looking at their children. I don't think that they really see them for their talents and their abilities and their unique skill set and their unique mindset and their unique view of the world and their unique genius. They just want them to fit in. And I often joke that I don't fix people, I optimize them. <laughs>